I'll always tell it like it is. That's the bottom line. If you just live in to exist, you want borrowed time. Don't ever let them take your soul. No, no, no. Don't ever let them take your soul. No, no, no. I'll always tell it like it is. That's the bottom line. If you just live in to exist, you want borrowed time. Don't ever let them take your soul. No. Well, the next morning, Lieutenant Ali called me, the good cop. Mr. Scott, I'm sorry. We don't have your son's killer. Mm. The guy that they picked out as the killer was in jail the night your son was killed. He could not have been the killer. Now, it took me a while to figure out all what happened, but I try to bring it together, and it's kind of hard because it's different things happened at different times. But in essence, the girl who eventually becomes the witness actually called 911 that night for the emergency unit to come out. And within a week, she called Crime Stoppers. She named the killer who actually turned out to be the killer. Right. Named, she gave him his birth date, she gave him his address. They passed out on to the police. So all that skirmishing that we had going on with the police earlier, they had the killer. Right. Okay. Well, eventually they do, a couple of weeks later, they eventually get the, they, they, they call the killer in. But the, kid, the killer's only 15 years old. So his grandmother goes with him and they bring him to the police station. And, and the bad cop, the sergeant, who's the asshole, he sits down with the killer and he says, hey, he says, uh, we got you named as the killer. Crime stop a tip called in and said that you killed him. So the kid right away says, I, I, no, 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 I, I didn't kill him, but I was there. The, the witness must have got confused, okay? I was there, but I, I didn't kill him. Well, the sergeant now, I guess, I got to think what went through his head. He wants to solve this case so urgently, okay? He accepts what the kid says. He accepts that, hey, this guy's a witness. He's going to name the killer. Well, the first killer he named was in jail that night. <laughs> mm. So they call the kid back in. They still think the kid's not the killer. Okay. And the kid plays along with him and says, well, I'm sorry. I got confused. I picked the wrong one out. So they bring him, they bring him to another kid's house that he names as the killer. Well, they arrest that kid. And guess what? We th think we got a case because that kid was out the night my son was killed. And when he was arrested later, he had two guns. So all we got to do is match the bullet to the guns and we got a witness, we got a killer and we got the gun. Okay. Well, <laughs> it didn't turn out that way. Okay. Right. That guy wasn't the killer. The gun didn't match. Okay. Long story short, there's a long story on that too. I had to find out I'm the one that had to determine whether the bullet matched or not, because they wasn't going to work the freaking bullet. Right. And that's a story in and of itself. I can't tell all the little mini stories, okay? Right, right, right. Anyway, we get back to the killer. So now, neither one of them are killer, so now the, the, the good cop tells me, Mrs. Knight, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to find another witness, because this guy might have been the killer, okay? And if he wasn't the killer, he's not a reliable witness. He's already missed... Uh, with, with the name two suspects and, sure, and sure. basically also tells me look 
I hate to say it, Mr. Snyder, I don't see how you're ever going to have a solvable case here, okay? Uh, because he had admitted, he said, there already been so many screw-ups by the police. The little, the little bit that they did do, they screwed it up. Later, when I got to the cold case people, they said, look, police 101 is you don't take somebody who's been named as a suspect and immediately turn them into a witness. They should have went to his house. They should have looked at his tennis shoes. They should have looked at his tennis shoes. They should have looked for blood spatter. They should, this kid's so dumb, he might have still had the same clothes on, okay? Right, right. They didn't do any of that. And so, you know, what can I say, okay? So, you know, I had to go back out and find another witness, okay? And, you know, in the meantime, we, we kind of bypassed some of this. In the meantime, I'm going into dangerous areas, putting up posters, interviewing people, and a few things happen. I do meet with Reverend Reed. I, we go to one of his churches at night. And, uh, uh, and, and, and uh, uh, we pray with them one Sunday in church. And Reverend Reed says, come to this meeting at night. We have a meeting with recovering drug addicts, okay? And I'd like you to come speak with them, and I'd like them to hear your story, okay? And so I go with Reverend Reed and, and my wife and my sister actually went too. And we go sit in the meeting, and they ask me to talk, and I talk, and I cry. And they cry with me pretty much, okay? And they all say, we'll go with you in the neighborhood, Wow. So the room full, the, the room full of, uh, of addicts, recovering addicts, all volunteer to go with you as well? Yes. Oh, man, that's beautiful. Yeah, wow, it was, wow. It was now, I will say that the only thing that's a little bit overplayed in the documentary, they only really went with me two days. Right. Okay. I must have went in there <laughs> 60 days or <laughs> Right, right. Days. I don't know. And, okay. what, and what about what? And what about uh, what about the Reverend Reed? What about the Reverend Reed? How many times did he? How many times was he down there with you? Two, twice with me too, and so and yeah. his counterparts were with me. Now he offered to go again. Okay, right. he offered to go again, but one reason or other, a few things took place. I don't know exactly uh, the whole thing, but you know, I, I see the truth is I had my own technique of going in there. A lot of people think right. it was, and, and it was, but. I would drive into that neighborhood with different cars. I would borrow people's cars, okay, so that so that they wouldn't recognize a, 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 the same car, okay. And so then also I would go in there and I would never spend any more than maybe forty-five minutes, half an hour, forty-five. Mm -hmm. minutes. I would interview two or three people or make a little connection or put a few posters up, and then I get out of there. I I calculated that by the time they figured out I was in there, okay, I'd be out of there. And later on, I did find out that 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 I don't, they had a hit out on me, okay? With all the activity they had going on, on in there, they, they definitely had a hit out on me. But fortunately, and this is where God comes in, okay? And we've left that out. It's a big part of the story. So I hate to say it, I got to backtrack again a little bit, okay? This is another peculiar thing that happened with my son, okay? My son was killed in April. In fact, just a few days ago, April 14th was 21 years ago, he was murdered. Okay. Well, any event, about a month before we had Mardi Gras in New Orleans. And as a family with his girlfriend and, and, and all of us got together and we went up into the city. And yeah, we looked at some of the nasty things, but there's also some families that go up there with costumes and whatnot. And we went up to have a good time and have a few drinks, okay? And they got these guys that carried the crosses that always like preaching amongst the hundreds of thousands of people over there. And I often wondered, you know, like, you know, 
I'm really respectful, but at that stage, I'm not really committed to, to, to Jesus or, or, you know, I'm a doubter, you might say. And so, uh, which I think my son was too, basically, okay. And, but maybe he was less of a doubter than I was, but whatnot. In, in any event, I always see these guys carrying across. The, the unusual thing that happens is I'm always polite to these guys. I usually say, hey, you're doing a good job, buddy, okay. And I don't know how sincere I am when I say that, but I do that to encourage them because I think probably they're doing some good or they try it. They mean well, okay. A lot of people make fun of them, okay, and jeer them and whatnot. It's a shame, but they do, okay. But I do think it's kind of a waste of time, okay? it, it, deeply. Well, while I'm there, something strange happens. One of them catches my son. And my son's a good little debater, okay. And I can see, I'm not too far away, I can see them talking. I can hear some of the words they're saying, but not completely, okay? And, and, and with the, the guys talking to him about God and Jesus and whatnot, and my son's going to say, but what about this? Or what about that? Or, you know, or, or, you know who is God? Is it Mohammed? Or is it, uh, you, know, you know, he's debating with the guy a little bit, okay? And so I'm watching, but, he, but, he, but by the way now, he's respectful with the guy. It's not getting, not getting ugly. There's a discussion going on. So any of that, he... Uh, at the end, I hear the guy say, brother, will you pray with me? And my son prayed with him. And they prayed the sinner's prayer. And I don't really know whether my son meant it or not, but he said the prayer, the sinner's prayer. Now I know why those guys are there carrying the crosses. Mm. Wow. He was dead within a month. And let me tell you what that did for me, though. Initially, I'm very mad at God. Okay. I'm initially very, very mad at God. After I really think about the killer, I want to kill a killer. Okay. Uh, even if I can get him arrested, I want the death penalty. Okay. And, of course, when I see my son's palm, that kind of ties my hands behind my back because I want to honor what my son said. So we decide that we're not going to take the death penalty. So in any event, with my daughter, after my son's death, see, my daughter is the one that, when he asked for the Benadryl that night, uh, she said, I don't know where that is at. Okay? And then right. she was regretting that she didn't help him find the Benadryl. And then I found out he didn't get the Benadryl because it was diphenhydramine. But in any event, my daughter's been psychologically kind of messed up. And, and she mm -hmm. really start dating until she was like 30 years of age okay and then she got a relationship uh she almost got married but didn't get married and mm -hmm. had beautiful grandbabies and i got them but then her relationship broke up and in a way that worked out good because she's been back with us now for about six months and she's still struggling a little bit but we can help her with the kids and and right now we quarantined with my grandkids where Oh yeah. Without their grandkids. <laughs> and, and so, so I kind of didn't like them 24 seven, but right now I'm glad to have them 24 seven. Although every now and then they bust in on me. Okay. So, uh, so, and, and my daughter, we're working with my daughter, you know, we haven't given up on her, but she's still mentally struggling. Uh, you know, she was 18 when this happened. Him and her and my brother, uh, her son, my son were really, really close. And uh, she just really, was out of it for about 10 years 
And then even when she came back, she still got issues. So, uh, right. So when you say, when you say, uh, out of it, then, uh, are we talking like depression or, I mean, what, what, what exactly was going on? Depression and, uh, post post-traumatic stress and social anxiety disorder. Sure. Uh, because the other thing that happens, it doesn't always happen, but and it's partly her fault. It's partly her friend's fault. Everybody was so shocked about this. And we went through hell so long with the police that people didn't come around anymore. Mm -hmm. The connection she had with Trimmer's son. And she lost a lot of friends or, or the friends didn't know how to deal with it. Okay. And, and then when they would reach out, she really wasn't that receptive. She, she didn't know how to deal with it. It's a crazy, it's a crazy, it's a crazy thing. Cause we talked about it just a little bit earlier about people not wanting to come up and speak to the parents, right? Because they've had this terrible tragedy and they don't know how to approach talking about the kids. And, and it's, it's like when your daughter needed her friends and her support network the most, they were incapable. They were incapable, right? I mean, I can't, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about blame or not. It's, it's not really yeah, I mean, because I, I think everybody sort of handles these difficult things differently, right? Uh, but when when we need them the most, when we need them the most, people, we got to take care of each other. We got to take care of each other, man. You know what's a good thing about this docuseries? After some of our friends, and, and look, some of these friends, and, and it wasn't just their fault. It was a little bit her fault, too, okay? Uh, but after the docuseries, a lot of her friends called her. And actually, a few of them apologized to her. And they're a lot older now. They realized they wasn't there. They wish they would have been there. They seen her in the documentary. They seen the whole story. Nobody really knew this story. And, and, and they felt pretty bad that maybe they had done a better job, you know. And, but, but the blame, just hopefully we can learn. That there's some lessons that get learned and people learn how to handle situations better and can be maybe coached in the handling situations better. Uh, so yeah, there's a whole bunch of lessons learned through this thing it really is. And so tell me about your wife. I want to, I want to talk about your wife for a second. Right. So I, like I said, I, I saw the documentary and I saw, you know, there's so much, right. There's so much that she's going through. Right. And everybody's, everybody's on their own journey. Right. And everybody is handling the situations that we find ourselves in, in the way that they handle a situation. And nobody, I think, handles it identical, right? And so she's going through all this stuff, and you're digging in. You're, you're totally dug in, right? You're waist deep in, I'm going to figure this out, right? And um, she, she, I mean, it, she took it hard, as, I, as any mother obviously would, and, I, and unfortunately... For me, and fortunately for me, I don't even know how to word that. I know like a thousand moms across the country who have lost their children to overdoses, right? Because of the work that I do. And um, my, my own mom lost two children um, in, in, in her lifetime. And, and moms are never the same. Dads, I mean parents, but moms, it's a different, unique thing all its own. And, uh, and I don't think they're ever the same again. You know, how, how is mom, how is mom doing today? 
the way she dealt it was protective of what left in her was left in her family. Okay, my daughter and her and me. And when she lost her son, don't, don't me wrong, it, I, I, it's a different kind of hurt, I guess, but it was totally devastating. In fact, you can hear her in the documentary and a lot of people say, how did I record that? I think I recorded that by accident. Uh, they got a scene in there where you can hear her like, hollering and saying, God, why did you take my baby? And uh, really raw emotion. And I really don't think I intended to record that. But lots of times I would forget the recorder on one or or whatnot, but anyway, we, we captured it and it's a kind of a lesson that we did because people want to hear that, okay? But she also now, now that I'm out looking for his killer, her friends are saying, let the police handle it. They, they have no idea what the police are doing, okay? All right, and let the police handle it and he's gonna get killed, which was not, which was maybe a real possibility, okay? And so she's lots of time trying to talk me out of it, but I'm a pretty good salesman and a pretty good convincer. And she wants, she, by the way, wants her son's killer. She, she knows that he's getting screwed by the police. Okay. All right. They, they don't give a shit. Okay. And so she, she knows that and she knows she'd like to us to find the killer, but she don't want to lose me. And so lots of times me and her have a pep talk at night and I get her ready. And then the next day her friends call and they try to talk her into telling me to stop. Okay. At some point, they get through, okay? And that's another pivotal point in the story, okay? Uh, what, but back to one other thing that we, that we left off on was the death penalty, too. Okay. Uh, later during the course of me investigating, I not only go out with the, the, the reverend a couple of times, but I have other, a couple other friends that are concerned about going on there, and they ride shotgun with me. Literally, they ride with me, and they have a gun. Okay, I didn't want to carry a gun. I didn't know how to use a gun and kind of didn't believe in guns. Okay, but I wasn't stupid either. When they offered to go with me and, and sit in the corner, I let them go. Well, one of them then winds up saying, you know, I got to tell you a little bit about my history. I'm going with you to help you because I know you're going to get killed. You don't know what you're doing. Okay, Because I used to deal up here. I used to be, a, I used to be an addict. I was shot at. I had fights. Uh, I used to sell drugs and I, I knew the network but now I'm recovered. And he was living on the same middle-class street with me and he was totally recovered and a good guy. So he goes with me a couple of times and he gets a little aggravated and says, this is going too slow. And at that time, I'd already narrowed it down to two people who was, was the potential killer, which was really the original witness who turned out to be the killer. And this other guy who the killer named who I kind of thought might still be the killer, okay? And so he brings me to what he calls, it's kind of funny, he calls him a retired drug dealer. He's an older man that used to be one of the kingpins in that area of handling the drug deal. And now he's, I guess, semi-retired, if that, that is what happens. So he introduces me to this guy, and I, and I sit down, and I, I, I start talking with this guy, and he says, okay. And I give him the names, and he says, he says okay, I, I think I can find out, and do you want me to have him killed? Mm. And then I had to face that. And yeah. I said, well, thought about it, but then again, my son's belief in the death penalty and his pawn haunted me. So I initially on the porch, I told him, I, I got to think about that. And it didn't take me long. I went home and I said, I, I, I can't do this. I'm number one, I'm not a killer. Because I wouldn't have to kill him, you know, $500 would have got the job done. Okay. And so, but I didn't. And I, I credit my son to that basically. Okay. Your son, your son saved that kid's life. Exactly, exactly. Now, 
and by the way, later on, the killer will tell me that. Okay, but but at this stage, I uh, I don't want him killed, and I don't want him killed for for a couple of reasons. I forgot to weave God into this. I did weave God into with the French Quarter scene. Okay, but initially, I'm really angry. Okay, with God, but for a very short period of time. Okay, and then all of a sudden, I need God because I don't have anybody. My wife is almost discouraging me. A, a lot of my friends are discouraging me. The police are making fun of me, okay? And uh, I turn to God out of desperation almost, okay? And somewhere in there, I start believing in him, okay? And then I start bargaining with him. And that's part of the grieving process, but it's a different kind of bargain. It's God, let me find my son's killer. Let me get him off the street so he can't kill again, okay? I won't go for the death penalty because I, I, I'm going to agree with my son right now. It's not the right thing to do, okay? I'm going to try to do this the right way, okay? And God, if you'll help me do that and no innocents get hurt, okay, I will go on a mission for you. And the mission ultimately would be the opiate situation and the people in the opiate situation and the doctors and the pharmaceutical companies and the 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 the, the, the the mayhem that's going on with the opiate situation and educating kids and educating parents. I was going to go on that mission for him. So I, I, I made that deal with God. Okay. So now we're going along though, and I'm still struggling and it, it, it comes up to September. Uh, my mother was uh, born on September 1st. My son, I was born September 17th and my son was born September 27th. Okay. And the reason why I say that is because it's now September I'm getting nowhere in the case. People are making fun of me, but the, 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 the wife is saying, you're going to get killed. Her friends are saying, don't do this. So she's now begging me to stop. So I talk to her and I say, okay, look, I'll make this deal with you. Okay. If I don't make any significant progress by the end of September, okay, I will give this up. Okay. I didn't really want to give it up. I thought I was letting my son down. I felt I loved the, uh, let the uh, God down, maybe. I felt I was, the police were winning, okay? There was a lot of reasons why I didn't want to, but my wife, I was going to do that. I was going to give it up. Now, this is really crazy, and people almost don't want to buy this. If you see this in a movie, you're not going to believe this, okay? okay? It's September 1st. It's my mother's birthday. I haven't, the police had told me not to do certain things. And believe it or not, I sometimes listened to them, sometimes I didn't. But there was a few things I didn't do, either because they told me not to, or I just didn't get around to them. So I had these few things on the list, and I told my wife, I said, I'm going to do these few things on the list. And if I don't get a breakthrough by the end of the month, okay, and it was only going to take me a couple of days to go through these things, so I might have ended quicker. So I go to my, my son's grave, and my son's grave, she's buried with my mother. Both their names are there. My father's there. Mm -hmm. And I go there. And I knew there's some gravel on the bottom, like it's, it's cement, but it's kind of washed gravel, like, okay. If you kneel on it, it hurts, okay. And this time, no, I kneel on it on purpose. I want it to hurt. Okay? And I reach up to the grave, okay. And I literally wail and beg God. And I don't just beg God to help me solve the case. I beg God to let me quit. Please, God. Let me give this up because I couldn't, I just couldn't stand giving up. I felt like a loser. I felt like I let my son down. I let God down. You know, it's, it's hard to describe, but I, I just couldn't keep going.
Hey guys, Jim Wahlberg here from The Bottom Line. Listen, I just want to remind you, please make sure you subscribe to our YouTube page at Wall Street Productions. And I also want to remind you, push that little bell. Just push it, man. It takes one second. Then that will notify you when anything's going on with The Bottom Line.